This episode of Indie Film Weekly is brought to you by Musicbed. Want to make your film idea a reality? There are still a few days left to apply to the 2017 Musicbed Film Initiative. They're giving away over $70,000 in cash, gear, and post-production to this year's award recipient. Entry is free, and all you have to do is write a short synopsis and upload a PDF with your pitch materials. Head over to filminitiative.musicbed.com to learn more and submit your own application. Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a no-film school podcast. I'm Liz Nord. I'm Emily Buter. I'm John Fusco. And I'm Charles Hain. It's March 23rd, 2017, and on this week's show, Netflix's balancing act between the indie and studio worlds, why getting your film graded F could be a good thing, the app upgrade that lets you shoot in log mode on your phone, and as always, news you can use about new gear, upcoming deadlines, indie film releases, and Ask No Film School. Hi, everybody. We are back in downtown Brooklyn, New York, after a wonderful week down in Austin at South by Southwest. And we're here at the home of No Film School, bringing you, as always, everything you might have missed while you were busy making films or eating tacos in Texas. So first on the agenda, it seems like every week Netflix is breaking new ground in the film world. The streaming site's meteoric rise to prominence in the indie and big-budget production and acquisition space has stunned even those of us who really saw it coming. In fact, at South by Southwest, I interviewed Joe Swanberg, the king of mumblecore micro-budget movies, who had a film there that Netflix had commissioned as part of its first slate of original films. Can I ask a question really quick? Mm-hmm. Do, do, you, do you think filmmakers like like the term mumblecore? Is that an accepted term? Is it, or have you had like whether they like it or not it's the it's term for them term. it's the term yeah okay and they seem to have embraced it this week the big news is that netflix tapped a new executive to lead its film division and the company's choice reflects a clear decision to go after the studios scott stuber was co-president of production at universal pictures as well as vice chairman of worldwide production he forewent a major opportunity to lead paramount pictures in order to take this netflix job In his new role, he'll lead future development, production, and acquisition. That is really telling. Based on a statement he released to press, Stuber seems excited by Netflix's global reach. This is consistent with what I've been hearing from Netflix filmmakers themselves who accepted a deal from the streaming site rather than chase a theatrical release. In fact, I just spoke to Charlie McDowell, another prominent indie filmmaker, whose star-studded indie The Discovery was picked up by Netflix out of Sundance and will hit the streaming service next week. Look out for that interview on nofilmschool.com. Here's what Stuber had to say. Quote, Netflix is at the forefront in changing the way entertainment is enjoyed throughout the world, bringing a greater variety of stories to more people than ever before. It's an incredible opportunity to work with a company with such reach and that stands for such a diverse quality content for global audiences. So, okay, are you ready for more Netflix news? Because it's coming your way. In a serious nod to cinephiles everywhere, Netflix also swooped in to finance the completion of Orson Welles' final film, The Other Side of the Wind, which he was unable to finish before he died. Producers have been trying to raise money for years to complete this film, most recently turning to Indiegogo, where nearly 3,000 backers raised $400,000. But it wasn't enough. Now that Netflix has bought the rights, the company will fund the rest of the edit, which is being completed based on Welles' own notes. So yeah, as Emily mentioned, we've and many other outlets have focused a lot on Netflix on this show and with good reason because they've supported many indie filmmakers like she mentioned. But one of our favorite indie film industry guys, Tim League, 
of the Alamo Theater chain and the new distribution company Neon provided a slightly different perspective in an interesting opinion piece that he wrote for IndieWire this week. League credited the company for all the opportunities that they've provided for people making shows and movies to make money, but he drew a pretty clear distinction between Netflix's business and the business of cinema, citing Netflix founder Reed Hastings' almost disdain for the theatrical experience. Just last week, Hastings told reporters, well, the popcorn tastes better, but that's about it. League makes a compelling case for cinema in his article, not to rule out or dismantle streaming, but he basically encourages Netflix to partner with traditional venues. It doesn't have to be either or, which Hastings seems to keep trying to make it uh, be. One of Tim League's more provocative statements was, until a meaningful relationship is forged with cinemas, Netflix is not making movies. They are instead funding exclusive access commodities that help grow their subscriber base. Yee, sounds pretty cold. So yeah, it's really interesting, and I encourage you all to read Tim League's piece and also to kind of weigh in. We'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are on streaming versus the cinematic experience. Oh, yeah, and also Tim League's new company, Neon, which he co-founded with former Radius executive Tom Quinn, just picked up Eric Katz's Gemini out of South By, and that was the only big deal to come out of the festival this year, other than some notable pre-buys. So... The guy is an authoritative voice. He's on the ground in the indie film world. I'm assuming they paid $3 million for the movie, as that's exactly what they paid for the three films they picked up at Sundance just after the company's launch. So speaking of South by Southwest, when we were on our way there a couple weeks ago, IMDb, the internet movie database in case you don't know, but you know, the site made a well-intentioned but slightly humorously executed change. And that change is that they've added an F rating not for failure, but apparently for female. It's meant to help highlight and distinguish female-driven films, and they're classifying these as films that meet one of three categories. They're directed by a woman, written by a woman, or feature significant women on screen speaking about something other than men, otherwise known as the Bechdel test. So far, the site's given the rating to almost 22,000 films, which, as Vox pointed out, seems like a lot until you consider that there are over a million films on the site, so that's less than 1%. The number seems enormous, though, when compared to the only 16 films so far that have received the triple F rating, meaning that they meet all three criteria. Um, I think that'll be the next <laughs> the next uh, X film. Like, you know, those Fast and Furious triple X, like it'll be triple F and it'll be all women. I can't wait to see it. Charles loves those films. No, I don't... No. Fast and the Furious, not Triple X. Come on. It's like a combination. Fast, Furious, and Triple X. Fuh, fuh, fuh. Anyways, I'm happy to say that of the 16 films that have received the Triple F rating, we've covered four this past year, so 25% for you math heads out there. Uh, Andrea Arnold's American Honey, Kristen Johnson's Camera Person, Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women, and Mira Menon's Equity. And we will link to all of those articles in the podcast post this week. Even though I don't think anyone really wants to get an F on their films, we applaud IMDb for the intentions here, and I hope some of you will strive to get on the list with your next projects. They could have given an L rating for Lady. Yeah, or like an A rating for Awesome. But, you know. (laughs) Instead, it was F for Farts. (laughs) They could have gone C for Classy as well. There's lots of options, but I think F has like a nice ring to it reclaiming the F from the old grading system. I don't know. F that. Well, I'm glad. Maybe maybe in 10 years we'll only think of F as female. Ooh. 
So we have a sad goodbye this week that hits very close to home. New York-based film producer Robin O'Hara has passed away. With over 30 producing credits to her name, she's most closely tied to the rise of indie film in the late 90s and early aughts, having worked on films like Peter Sollett's Raising Victor Vargas and Harmony Corrine's Gummo and Julianne Donkey Boy. She had so many professional accomplishments and was a producer and mentor to many friends of No Film School, but we're especially sad about this because she was also a business and life partner to Scott McCauley for over 30 years. Scott is a producer himself and is the longtime editor of Filmmaker Magazine. He's been so helpful to No Film School over the years, and he's a person who we all like and admire. So, Scott, we are sending you all the love. Lots of love, Scott. Moving on to Gear News, here's Charles Hayne. Uh, hello, everybody. So, our first story this week is that Filmic Pro for iOS now enables shooting in log mode. Now, it's undeniable you can get great shots out of your iPhone, and while you might not want to use it as your A camera, it is the camera you always have with you, and there are times where its size and weight make it the camera to use, even if it's just as B or C camera, getting yet another angle on a complicated or one-time-only event like an explosion. However, intercutting linear iPhone video with log A camera footage is always kind of a hassle, and with uh, Filmic Pro 6, the pro video for, uh, app for iPhone, they've added log mode, which should allow for a lot greater post-production flexibility with video shot on the iPhone. It's going to make life easier when mixing footage and post, and even if you're just shooting the iPhone, it'll make it a more powerful tool that gives you greater latitude, especially down into the shadows. I'm really looking forward to seeing some camera tests with that and like whether it actually you know, meets the standards it claims to. I mean, it's still a tiny, tiny 8-bit sensor, but the first stuff that's hitting the street this week definitely looks like, oh, wow, you're definitely like seeing more info in shadows, which is really nice. So uh, I'm excited to see some more stuff coming out of that, especially because, like, you know, last year was the year Tangerine swept Sundance shot on an iPhone. Like, it is sometimes the camera for the task. Um, next up in gear news, Narbox lets you back up, <laughs> edit, and share full-res video. Um, that's NAR with a G, G-N-A-R, NAR. Like shredding NAR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, bro. You're so gnarly, Emily. <laughs> um, so most filmmakers are used to lugging their laptop with them everywhere they go. But for certain filmmakers, it's not just a hassle to do that. It's nearly impossible. If you're doing action sports or nature documentary or like war zone coverage, getting your camera where you need it to be is hard enough without the hassle of a laptop. Uh, Narbox is a solution for backing up, editing, and sharing full-resolution videos controlled by your iPhone. It's basically like a hard drive, battery, SD card reader, and media browser, all built into like a hearty, gnarly box meant to be durable (laughs) in a wide variety of chaotic situations. Bro. Yeah, brah. Um, For filmmakers, the 128 gigabyte hard drive size is a little bit limiting. We tend to shoot a lot more footage than that. But now that the NAR box is out, hopefully we'll we'll see some more gnarly options with bigger drive sizes. Um, This is definitely like targeted at the action sports crowd, hence the name NAR. But there are a lot of film productions that are going to benefit from like a tiny little DIT station in a box. So cute. Um, but remember, it only makes one copy of your footage. So, like, I definitely use it to download the SD card so you have two copies, but then I wouldn't format the SD card until you've come down from the mountain and had a chance to make multiple copies at home base. Uh, totally a, a tool to consider for your next gig doing interviews with insurgents or chasing footage of mountain lions around Griffith Park. 
last up in gear news this week, No Film School did a review of the new CineZooms. So, uh, the Sigma CineZooms and the forthcoming CinePrimes are making waves throughout the film industry, and we were able to put them through the paces here at NFS Test Labs and get a handle on what they're like in the real world. They are pretty cool. Um, so, there's been some talk on the internet about how they're not parfocal. Sigma was very upfront about them not being parfocal. I don't think it matters that they're not parfocal. Like most zooms at $3,000 aren't. Most of us are used to working without it. They're such great lenses. They open to a consistent T2. There's like almost nothing else in the price point except for the MK uh, zoom from Fujinon, which is parfocal. But for all us dummies out there, can you explain what parfocal means, please? Oh, uh, absolutely. So parfocal is like, you know, when you zoom in on something and you get focus and then you zoom out, it stays in focus. You're like, okay, zoom in, get focus, zoom out. Um, still lenses don't bother to do that, right? Because they have sophisticated autofocus and you're seldom moving the zoom in the middle of a still shot because it's only capturing one moment in time. So... Most modern shooters are kind of used to not having parfocal lenses because if you grew up on the 5D, none of your zooms would have been parfocal. And you get used to the idea that, like, you set your frame and then you use the little digital zoom in button to set your focus, which you can totally do with the Zen zooms and it totally works. It's just an interesting thing to have a lens calling itself a Zen zoom not be parfocal. Um, I think for the market Sigma is going for, it makes total sense. Um, if you were looking for parfocal, there is the Fujinon MK, which is a great lens, but it's only available in E-mount yet, not EF like the uh, Sigmas. So it's like, you know, everything is about trade-offs. But these were really fun lenses to review. The T2 is really awesome. They're built really durably. They have glow-in-the-dark writing, which is like very fun and kind of 80s. And um, so, yeah, check out our review. Thanks, Charles. And we will keep you around after the break to uh, ask you to help answer and Ask No Film School question. This episode of Indie Film Weekly is brought to you by Vimeo. Life happens in 360 degrees, and now on Vimeo.com, so do your videos. Now you can upload, watch, and even sell your 360 videos on Vimeo. Vimeo 360 means immersive eye candy, immersive adventures, and immersive storytelling from the world's best filmmakers. Plus, Vimeo has tons of helpful resources for all experience levels. Join the new home for 360 video at Vimeo.com slash 360. So this week in Ask No Film School, Keso Unithan asked us, how do you shoot the reflection of a character in a reflective surface? He needs to shoot a scene where a character is praying before the god's picture hung on the wall, in his words, and the reflection of the character on the picture is what's in focus. So he wants to know how he can get it and if there's anything with lighting that he should keep in mind. That is a great question. Uh, so there's two main things you want to worry about when shooting a reflection, lighting and depth of field. First, we'll talk about light. If you want to see something reflected in a surface like glass on a picture, you generally need more light on the subject that you want to see in the reflection than you might normally because the reflection eats a little bit of light. If you look at like a reflection in a random piece of glass, it's going to be darker than, say, a reflection in a mirror, which is going to reflect more of the light and reflect more accurately. So if you're lighting the scene, you're going to need to put more light volume on your subject than you normally might. However, even if you're not lighting the scene, there's a workaround if you're working in natural light. You can stage the scene in such a way that the reflected glass image of the gods is in a dark part of the room and then stand the character near a window so they're getting brighter amounts of light and that should still help balance it out and let you see the reflection more clearly. 
The second issue you talk about is focus. If you focus on the surface of the picture, so you see the face of the God, the subject of the character kneeling in front of the God is going to be blurry. You can rack focus to the subject in the reflection, but then the picture of the God will be blurry. If you want that effect, you can rack back and forth and it'll be quite dramatic between the picture of the God and the picture of the person. But here's the thing. It kind of sounds like you want both in focus at once. So you're going to need to give yourself a deeper depth of field so that you can hold both the picture and the reflection in focus at the same time. There's a lot of great advice online about how to get a deeper depth of field, but simply you're going to make this easier on yourself by moving the character closer to the picture. And then if you stop the aperture down more, that's going to increase the depth of field, making it more likely you can have both the picture and the reflection in focus at the same time. But as you stop the aperture down, your image will get a little darker, so you might need to bump your ISO or adjust your shutter to compensate for the light lost. Here's something I don't understand about um, what you said about lighting, like extra lighting on the subject in a situation like this, because if there's a bunch of light on your subject, won't that light itself reflect off of these reflective surfaces and make it harder for you to get the image? Um, it depends upon where your lighting uh, unit is. So it's one of those things that like if you're using like a really soft light that's bouncing all over the room, then it's totally going to make the picture of the God brighter too. And then it's going to be harder to balance. But if you've got like a really hard light coming in a window and you stand the subject right by the window, so they're getting all that light but the picture of the God is in shadow and not getting that light, they're going to be able to balance more closely with each other. So if you end up using a lighting unit, you're going to want to use a lighting unit you can control a little bit. You bring the barn doors in to really focus it on the subject kneeling before the God photo without letting it bounce all around the room and bring up the God as well. It's the most I've talked about lighting God in, in like weeks. <laughs> yeah, so good luck. Can't wait to see your footage and uh, be sure to send us the results once you've done the shot. I'm very curious to see how it goes. And what God looks like. And now for some of the great indie films coming out this week. Yesterday, the film Split was released on VOD. Sophia Harvey interviewed director Deborah Kampmeyer, whose two previous films, Virgin and Hound Dog, were indie spirit winners and Sundance premieres, respectively. Split features the character Inanna, played by Amy Ferguson, who's an actor by day and a stripper by night. Her manic love affair with a troubled mask maker spirals into violence, and her own descent into this abusive relationship is paralleled by the play in which she's set to star, not coincidentally titled, The Descent of Inanna. For all our male listeners out there, the director says that after watching the movie one night, a man came up to her and said watching the film made him love his wife more than he'd ever loved her. Oh, it's not just for the ladies. The interview with Kempmeyer also highlights some really interesting workarounds that they came up with in set design and costuming to give a much higher budget look to the film. We should also mention that that Split is distributed by our friends at Candy Factory Films, who co-hosted our South by Southwest Filmmaker Happy Hour. So good choice, guys. And in case you missed it, this is not M. Night Shyamalan's Split. No. A different split. This is a different split. And just to catch us up on some dates that we might have missed because we were in South by, uh, there were some pretty good releases on Amazon Prime Instant last week, including Everybody Wants Some, which came out March 17th. Uh, we were in Austin, so it's also only fair that we recognize Richard Linklater's most recent film, being that he's such a figurehead there. 
Everybody Wants Some is the spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused, meaning it's in the same world, but it's not the same characters. And while Days took place in the 70s, this follows a group of college baseball players, as opposed to high school baseball players, at their first couple days of school in 1980. I think that this was one of my favorite movies to come out last year, and I kind of flew under the radar a little bit for being a Richard Linklater movie, um, and a really good Richard Linklater movie at that. Uh, it also has a perfect soundtrack, of course, just like Days and Confused. And if you love baseball, like me, or Linklater, like me, or Days and Confused, like me, then you should definitely watch it like I did, and will, again, do. <laughs> okay, I'm convinced. Um, also coming to Amazon Prime Instant, it came out actually yesterday, is Gimme Danger. Um, so I saw Gimme Danger at TIFF last year, mostly because I was really eager to interview Iggy Pop, and it turns out that that didn't happen, which really shouldn't be that surprising, but I did get a chance to catch a really great documentary about the Stooges. Any doc about the Stooges and featuring Iggy Pop is bound to be pretty cool. I mean, let's face it, anything in a three-foot radius of Iggy Pop is just going to be cool, but Gimme Danger is made even cooler because it's directed by Jim Jarmusch. Jarmusch himself is a longtime Stooges fan, and this is really a love letter to one of his favorite bands. We get some great insight into how the Stooges avoided whatever was popular or whatever corporate authority they came up against to really help mold garage rock into what it is today. Amazon swooped it up at TIFF, or I'm pretty sure they might have had a hand even uh, before before its uh, distribution, but they're now letting Prime members watch it for free. Yeah, Jim Jarmusch did a ton of promotion around this film, and I got to go to a one-on-one conversation with him at New York Film Festival, which I wrote up, and he talked about kind of some of the really interesting films that have influenced his whole career. Um, So I'll link to that one in the podcast post this week as well. Meantime, coming to Netflix this week is Fire at Sea, directed by Italian filmmaker Gianfranco Rossi. It's a beautiful doc that captures life on the Italian island of Lampedusa, which is sort of unwittingly on the front lines of the European migrant crisis, and it was nominated for an Oscar in the feature docs category. This was one of my favorite films of last year, and I included it both in my the six most cinematic documentaries of the year post and in our year-end podcast episode when we talked about our favorite interviews of the year. The interview that I did with Rossi is really full of insights into his thoughtful filmmaking process, but you shooters out there will appreciate this behind-the-scenes tidbit. I feel like we need like a podcast sound effect for behind-the-scenes tidbits. BTS. <laughs> That's uh, a good one. That wasn't what I had in mind. <laughs> I like that one. More of, <laughs> more of like, bring, <coughs> but whatever. John's the producer. I'm sure he'll come, with, come up with something I'm great. going with Emily's idea on this one. <laughs> BTS. <laughs> Monday, Monday, Monday. Anyway, so here's the tidbit, Emily. BTS. <laughs> <laughs> I had a band. You know what's funny is I had a band in high school when I was trying to play guitar for like a year, and we were called BTS, but it stood for Born Too Short because we were all <laughs> short. That is so pathetically cute. Oh, it was also man. the name of a young adult book that I read in like third grade and then based it off of Born Too Short. That seems like a really great little indie film premise. There's a uh, another... BTS, you want to do the, the thing oh, of that? BTS! Into my life. <laughs> All right, I still haven't even gotten to my tidbit, which is that- Wait, Emily, do you want to do it again? BTS! <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Rossi shot the film himself with one of the first Ari Amiras, 
Representatives of Ari had seen his film Sacro Gras, which won the Golden Lion at Venice, and they asked him if he had used their Amira camera to shoot because it looked so good. And he was like, no, I used the Panasonic 100P. And they were so disappointed that they offered him an Amira to shoot his next film with, which like, you know, we all would like to have happen. Um, so next time we win the Golden Lion at Venice, I guess. Anyway, it was such an early model that when he got to the island of Lampedusa, the camera hadn't even arrived yet, and he didn't have a camera at all for the first few months, but it ended up kind of being a blessing in disguise because he had the luxury of just getting to know the rhythms of the island and find his characters, and I imagine that's kind of what contributed to the real intimacy of this film. And moving on to some theatrical releases this week... Wilson comes out on Friday. This is a movie that premiered at Sundance in January. It's directed by Craig Johnson, who also directed another hit indie in The Skeleton Twins with Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader. This movie stars Woody Harrelson as that guy who's Wilson, Brett Gilman, and Judy Greer. At first I thought this was a spin-off of Castaway uh, Little uh, Ball, the yeah, volleyball. Me too, and it isn't. It's unfortunate. Womp. It is about, rather than a volleyball, a lonely, neurotic, and hilariously honest middle-aged man, played by Woody Harrelson, who reunites with his estranged wife and meets his teenage daughter for the first time. Sounds heartwarming. (laughs) (laughs) Not as heartwarming as the actual Wilson. Not as heartwarming as Prevenge. Oh, guess what, guys? Prevenge is coming to theaters, and boy, this is an original movie. Um, The director is Alice Lowe. Here's the elevator pitch. A nine-month pregnant woman is about to become a single mother just as her partner dies in a rock climbing accident. When she starts hearing voices from her unborn child that tell her to murder people, she acts on them and the film becomes a crazy slasher. The main character is kind of like a female Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver out for vigilante justice to avenge those responsible for her husband's accident and to take down the patriarchy. One man and in one case, a woman at a time. I spoke to Lowe yesterday, who told me she didn't plan to write, direct, and star in a film while pregnant whatsoever. She'd been trying to get a bigger film off the ground for many years, and then she became pregnant, and a production company at the same time offered her the opportunity to make a low-budget film in two months. So she wrote Prevenge in two weeks and shot it over 11 days, and her baby daughter makes a cameo in one of the film's final scenes. This is a great film for a motley crew of filmgoers, feminists, slasher horror fans, and low-budget aficionados alike. Here's Lo on her film's process. Because, you, you know, sometimes you only have one take. You only have a chance to do something once, especially when you're doing a special effect. So it's sort of like, right, we've got one take on this, and everybody just has, the acting has to be amazing, everything has to be amazing, like everyone has to be really <laughs> on it. And it's like you get an adrenaline kind of buzz from that kind of filmmaking and... Um, I don't know. I think what what you lose in terms of like polish, um, because it's low budget, you gain from a sort of energy on screen and a sort of tension and a, and, and rush. So I think that's why the performances have quite a an edge to them, you know. Also hitting theaters this Friday is Buster's Mall Heart, which I saw in Toronto last year. It stars Rami Malek in a very Mr. Robot-like role, but he actually was cast in this film before Mr. Robot was released and before Mr. Robot was cast. In the film's fractured narrative, Malek plays two men who may or may not be the same person. One's a clean-cut family guy trying to make ends meet, and the other's an off-the-grid scavenger who raids vacation homes for a living. 
If you saw the director at Sarah Dina Smith's previous film, Midnight Swim, you'll have some sort of an idea for Buster Mall's heart's mysterious tone. When I spoke to Adina Smith in Toronto, she told me she had to really trust the audience to wrap their heads around this mind bender. Here's Adina Smith. You know, for like seven years, I really struggled to try and get financing for bigger movies I wanted to make, and we'd get close and then fall apart, and get close and then fall apart, and it was just, you know, you, you know, if you're not someone who's born into sort of money or connections, like it's just you're just banging your head against the wall, yeah. to be honest. And so I wish I could shake my younger self and say, go make your micro budget movie even sooner. Um, and it was my poor husband, who's my cinematographer and composer on this movie. Had been, he had been saying that for years, and I just thought, well, you know, my vision needs this money, and like I get, yeah. But, you know, I really think it's true to write within your means for your first one and to write for the resources and the support you know you have um, and make the best possible movie you can with, you know, with whatever pennies you can you can, you can can find on the street and, and, and friends and family to pitch in and you make that one first um, because I think um, then you're really taking control of your, your own destiny. She was also on a podcast that we did at Tribeca last year because she did a short in the short anthology Holidays. Uh, Yeah, she seems like a pretty out there director. Well, speaking of out there, she actually confirmed with tarot cards to figure out whether Malik was the right person to cast. So that's an interesting... BTS! Hmm? BTS! (laughs) And now moving on to some upcoming deadlines on grants and contests and other events... Adobe Premiere Pro's Make the Cut contest has an April 8th deadline. We wrote about this earlier this week. Adobe Premiere Pro is celebrating its 25th birthday by dishing out $25,000 to one worthy editor. All you have to do is edit a music video for that band, Imagine Dragons. Adobe's competition is now open, and they basically give you a plethora of raw footage from the official music video for the Imagine Dragons hit song, Believer. Don't tell me you haven't heard it. I have not heard it. Oh, wow. Believe it or not. How does it go? Sing it. Uh, and that's saw her face. Now I'm a believer. No. That's not the song. Is that not the song? Oh. Well, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure who Imagine Dragons are in that case. Anyone who lives in the United States or a whole bunch of other countries, including Australia, Canada, Germany, and the UK, can edit a video from that footage and submit it for prizes. The grand prize is $25,000, as I said, but there are a handful of other cash and Adobe package prizes available to the other entries, if you're not quite enough for the grand prize. You can check out the full list of prizes in the article on No Film School. And also worth highlighting is Arthur Vining Davis Foundation's public television grant, which has a rolling deadline, but we thought it would be apt to recognize because we don't even know how much longer PBS will be around for. So this is sort of a finishing fund for PBS airing programs in late stages of productions. The Arthur Vining Davis Foundations in the past have funded visionary leadership in public television for scientific and historical documentaries, children's programming, and distribution of high-quality educational media. So if your doc features any of that criteria, then you should check out this grant. As I said, it's rolling, um, but you also have to keep in mind that part of this production that you're making or planning on distributing has to have some uh, sort of deal in place with PBS already. So this is more of a finishing fund in that sense. Um, But if you do, then check it out. 
And we've got some great festival deadlines coming up. The New Orleans Film Festival has a deadline on March 24th, and I've always really wanted to go to this festival. I have a lot of friends who have had movies there, and they say it's fun. People have parties in really big New Orleans-style mansions, and it's a great indie community there. It runs from October 11th to the 19th in New Orleans. Every year, the festival offers jury awards to films in seven different categories. Last year's total value was over $80,000 in camera packages, film stock, cash prizes, and software. Pretty good deal. And the early bird deadline for the LA Shorts Fest is on March 31st. It takes place August 2nd through the 10th in LA. It's an Academy Award qualifying festival. In fact, in that regard, it may have one of the most impressive sort of resumes of people to come out of that program. I say that because in past years, a total of 50 LA Shorts Fest filmmakers have earned Academy Award nominations, with 15 taking home the Oscar. Last year alone, they screened three films that were nominated for the 2017 Academy Awards, and the 2016 Oscar winners in live-action short and animated short were both included in the 2015 edition of the festival. But if you're not really down with the LA scene, then you can check out the Seattle Shorts Film Festival, which has a deadline on March 31st. This is the late deadline, so if you're planning on submitting to this festival, you just do it now. It takes place September 9th to the 10th in 2017, and this year they're opening up music video competition. So if you want to, if you have a music video, you want to submit it, submit it. The Oaxaca Film Festival has a deadline of March 31st. For those of you who live in Mexico or really want an excuse to get there for a week, it takes place October 6th to the 13th. And if you get your film in by the end of March, it only costs $15 to submit. Oaxaca's supposed to be really cool. I'd submit to go there. They got good cheese. All right, so we want to remind everybody that we put up tons of new posts from South by Southwest since last week's show. Interviews, panels, great BTS Insights. So we will uh, link to those from this week's podcast post. Now, next week, I will not be here because I'm going to be on a much needed vacation. But Emily and John and Charles will be here for Indie Film Weekly next Thursday. And even before that, we've got another No Film School interview podcast coming up on Monday. That's right. And this week on our No Film School interview podcast, you can get the chance to hear Parker Smith talk about his uh, we, t- we talked about it actually last week on South- at South By um, he made a film called Ramblin' Freak that he shot, produced starred in, directed He, I mean it's basically him the entire movie is just made by him um, so we get some really good insight into uh, how he did it as a first time filmmaker and um, the movie actually has been getting some pretty awesome reviews and stuff it was all over IndieWire's best of critics list or whatever that just came out um and yeah so it's a great it's a great little uh talk on on how to make a movie entirely by yourself basically so you can read about everything we discussed on this week's show at nofilmschool.com and meanwhile please subscribe and rate us on itunes those ratings and subscriptions really mean a lot and not just on iTunes, anywhere where you find your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, we're on PocketCast. Google Play, we're on everything. We're on everything. And if we're not on something that you listen to, please do let us know so we can get ourselves there. Meanwhile, keep in touch. I'm at LizFilm on Twitter. At E.L. Booter. At Jim underscore John underscore Jim. Jim, 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 And we're all at No Film School. Catch you later. Bye.